0: Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week. Before we get to the guest, a Purple Heart recipient, a return to duty, now works in the civilian world and the pharmaceutical world, helping out veterans on the side as well. We'll get to him in just a moment. But first, as always, our normal announcements. Can't forget to remind you guys about the Amazon Promotion. As you are getting through your holiday shopping, please continue to go to HazardGround.com first. Click on the Amazon button at the bottom of the homepage or under the Sponsors tab. It'll redirect you to Amazon. You can do all your normal Amazon shopping. Buy whatever you need for the holidays, gifts for the family, things of that nature. Uh, And we'll get a percentage of what you guys spend. We'll donate a percentage of that back to some of the charities and organizations you've heard featured here on the show Works the same with your smartphone, so if you have credit card information saved, it'll redirect your right to the Amazon app, and we get credit for all that. So, again, go to hazardground.com first, click on the Amazon button at the bottom of the homepage, and help out veterans charities all across America just by doing Amazon shopping. Follow us on all the social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at hazardground, at Hazard podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Smash that like button. Give a thumbs up to all the content there. We certainly appreciate it, uh, and you guys watching and taking part of the show every single which way you can. And, of course, continue to leave us reviews, Apple reviews, five-star reviews, wherever you get these podcasts spotify stitcher radio google play leave us a review tell us why you love the show we certainly appreciate all of the love all right this week's guest uh, spent a total of 13 years between the Guard and active duty in the United States Army. Got out as a staff sergeant. He had multiple deployments to Bosnia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. He was injured in Iraq and awarded a Purple Heart and returned to duty to deploy downrange to Afghanistan. After his military career ended, he decided to work in the pharmaceutical industry and he's now the Veterans Employee Resource Group leader uh, for his company. And he is Nick Yost joining us here on the Hazard Ground podcast. Nick, welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Mark.
0: Great to finally get get connected with you. A uh, mutual friend of ours connected us um, uh, and told me a little bit about your story. And then you and I got to chatting and I got to hear about it. And uh, I was certainly interested in hearing what you have to say. And I, I, I'll say this much, you know, there's always some trepidation when people come on the show who don't have like, you know, they look at the guest list of the show and they always kind of feel like, oh, I didn't do anything or I, it's never about that. And in, in fact, I would tell you, I enjoy interviewing more of like, the non great stories because so many of those people have so many things to say that, um, that, that their experience is worthwhile and it's worthy. And so I just want to say that at the top of the show, because I think it's great that uh, you're willing to share your story, offer up your time. And, and like I always say, somebody somewhere will relate to this, right? Somebody will, will, will hear the Nikio story and go, I know exactly what that dude was thinking exactly what he was feeling. And I think that's great. So thank you again for joining me. I appreciate it. No problem. All right, start back at the beginning. Um, You didn't always look this dapper and dashing in a suit. uh, (laughs) You were a scruffy young man. How and why did you get in the Army?
1: Well, so uh, I I grew up um, pretty pretty limited means and uh, just like a lot of other people, the only way I was going to be able to afford college was to go into the military. Uh, it just so happened that the Army National Guard recruiter was the first one to to give me a call after I finished my ASVAB, and uh, my local guard unit was infantry. It sounded amazing. I'd go play laser tag in the woods once right. you know once a month and and two weeks of the year. Um, and to to put in perspective, this is before nine eleven. Right. So that's basically all it was. It was going and doing. Uh, you know, maybe if, uh, uh, you know, Democratic or Republican National Convention was going to be in town, we'd go and learn how to do some riot control or help people with floods. But the idea of deploying overseas had never occurred to to any of us um, until obviously that that day happened.
0: Yeah, I uh, certainly can relate because I signed up in a pre-9-11 world and what could go wrong, right? Um, laser tag in the woods that always sounded fun, uh, although we never actually did that. I don't know if you did. We never did. We, we, we did but uh the,
1: the miles equipment never worked
0: oh, that's true so yes right so my, the miles the miles gear for those of us who are old enough to remember that heavy thing they used to have to put on your kevlar on <laughs> um, the thing you wore around your chest that never actually stood still so whenever time you ran it would smack you all over the place uh and your flash suppressor always jammed your weapon up so that yep. that, that was the army's version of laser tag that kind of sucked <laughs> but well and
1: and you know in in and- I'll never forget 9 11 because I was in basic training at that time. So, again, up till this point, it was all just fun and games and, yeah, you know, uh, easy college money. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget, I was at Bending at, at basic training. We were on a rifle range. We were scheduled to be out there for, I think, three or four days. And out of nowhere, the cattle trucks showed up and we were told to load up our stuff and get back to the barracks. No one had any idea. Again, this is before cell phones were in basic training or, uh, you know, easy access to information. The only uh, access to the outside world you had was maybe on Sunday, you might be able to use a pay phone and call home and, and also pray that, that that phone you just stood in line for, for an hour wasn't, you know, had had an end crossed lines with another one. Uh, so we got loaded up, brought back into our unit. Uh, and then we just sat there. And we had absolutely no idea what, what was going on. We knew we weren't supposed to be there. Uh, we were supposed to be out for a couple more days.
0: Nobody and said anything to you?
1: Not, not immediately. So not until uh, that evening, we all got pulled, out, uh, pulled downstairs and our company commander um, came down and really let us know what happened that the, the World Trade Center uh, was was attacked. There were several other attacks in the, in the United States. And uh, whoever joined the Army thinking that they weren't going to deploy is in for a rude awakening because for all of us, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And so even then, we didn't even see footage of it. For quite some time later, it was on a on a Sunday when we were all supposed to be in church service. Um, they pulled us in and we got to see some recorded news clips because, again, this is before YouTube. This is before anything. So oh, yeah, someone had, had to.
0: Did that bother you? Because it seems like a, like when you said they didn't tell you till that night, like this happened at 9 a.m. in the morning. It kept you in the dark for 12 hours.
1: Well, I, again, at that point, where I think. Everybody was just trying to understand what was going on there. You know, I would expect uh, at you know at Benning uh, from the, the top down, they're trying to figure out because out of nowhere, now we're on on um, you know um, alert. you know, yeah. yeah we're on alert. There you know uh, we're on, we've gone from alpha to delta in, in yeah. the course of about and and there's more important units honestly at Benning than uh, you know than, than one five sure, zero basic but training I mean, units. It's,
0: it's not that hard for a company commander to gather everybody and say. You know, like by lunchtime, here's what's going on. Like, I mean, yeah. you're, you're the company commander of a training unit at Fort bet It's, I mean, no, no one's calling you. To, pay. I don't know. That's just weird to me. You know, like I, I, I felt like, they, you know, the fact that they wouldn't show you foot, that's weird to me. I, I don't know. That that seems, in hindsight, I guess being 2020, I try to go back to that day and remember what I was doing. But regardless, I was in front of a TV, obviously. But still, like, I, why wouldn't you have told your folks? That's weird. I mean, how, how do you know that some people in your unit might not have known somebody? On the plane or in the tower, right? Like I'm a New Yorker. So like for me, it was, I spent that entire morning on the phone, on the cell phone. And that's when, you know, they used to beep, 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 when it wouldn't go through when cell phone towers got jammed with too many callers at the same time. Uh, so I tried to call back to New York frantically, um, trying to find my friends who worked on Wall Street and trying to find my friends who worked in the city. My brother worked in the city at the time. It was, you know, it was all it was all hell trying to get in touch with people. And crazily enough, I mean, you're from like the central PA area, Shanksville. How far was that from you guys? From like uh, that's
1: you- down, yeah, yeah, that's down more north uh, towards uh, Pittsburgh. So it's it's honestly about four hours. Okay, it's quite right. a drive. Yeah, Pennsylvania is bigger than it than it seems.
0: <laughs> well, but again, it's just like one of those things where you know, it's, God forbid, somebody in your class knew somebody or something like that. You know, like that's just a weird thing to keep from people to me. Anyway,
1: at that point, well, in that point in time too, we're, we're, we're programmed, you know, by, by then I think uh, we had, we had been there uh, about a month and a half. We were um, into basic training. So we're, we're programmed in, we just, you say, jump, we say how high, we, we don't even think about it. We don't question it. Uh, We just go with the flow. So, you know, the optimist in me likes to think that there's a reason for it. Um, You know, I think just like anybody else, I, I would expect just trying to, process it and understand um, what, what needs to happen next because what little sleep we had prior to that day was gone after because we set up checkpoints then in the basic training area on sand hill oh wow on the roads on the sidewalks protecting the water buffalo protecting the training areas so there was in addition to you know fire guard and all of the and um uh you know running staff duty we now had additional Um, duties to perform every night so our sleep just basically went away uh, due to the terrorist attacks due to the increased that uh, um, uh, you know threat threat con but also turns out it was great training for force protection on bases too
0: yeah when you had heard the company commander tell you that any of you guys who thought you were going to get through this without going anywhere think again what goes through your mind when you hear that
1: well, of course, I came in as the guard. So I looked at the Ranger contract guys and I was like, that sucks because uh, you uh, you just don't. And, and even the, the guys that are about to go to their active duty units that, um, you know, I know what when I'm done, I'm going home. Um, what happens after that? I have no idea, but I'm not going straight to a unit like some of these guys. So I don't know that it really hit me as hard as it hit um some others however there was a definite uh increase in training um seriousness um and and the approach because we all knew from from then on this isn't just a game we're not just running battle drill one alpha to to check the box and uh and and go on to the the next phase of training it's we're going to be bounding as a as a team and a squad at some point you know very soon
0: yeah no again i i think um that level of severity certainly changed all across the board. So you go back to the guard, um, you know, eventually transition to active duty, uh, without fast forwarding too much, how, why, and when, and sort of what were the circumstances?
1: Sure. Well, because of none, the global war on terrorism, um, units were, uh, Forward deployed, but there were still those current deployments that were happening, such as um, you know Bosnia, Kosovo, and Mm -hmm. so because the active duty units were being pulled into um, uh, Iraq or into at this point Afghanistan, they needed backfill. So we went to Bosnia, and it was a a really profound experience as a 19 year old to be in that environment. To Uh, just see different cultures, experience um, different things. And again, Bosnia was not anything like Iraq or Afghanistan, but it was still a step up from what we were used to. And I enjoyed it. Um, it, I I enjoyed that forward deployment and it really called to me. So when we got back from Bosnia, about a year later, um, we were uh, tasked uh, for a Iraq train up. And during that training, I was having some serious health issues and I was eventually pulled out of that training and I was given an option whether to med board or to be just released from active duty and go back to my home unit. And to this day, I'm really thankful that I chose just to be released and go back to my home unit uh, because right after that, we started losing members of our team, and anyone that understands a, a National Guard unit understands how close knit uh, that unit is with the community. And um, Staff Sergeant Ryan Ostrom was our our first casualty in in our unit, and that really hit me hard. It um, for for the first time, the war was real because that's the closest person that I ever knew to, you know, to, to become a casualty. And and one thing also about the Ostrom family, they they've given between, um, his, his father, his brother, it's a military family. So they are close to everyone. Um, and that, that hit hard. And as others in, in the unit, um, also lost their lives. And in our sister units, I, you know, my sadness about not deploying turned into guilt and, um, as you know, as time passed, my my health improved. Uh, the the you know issue I, I had um, just was was able to be treated and, and went away. So, as my National Guard contract ended, um, I was just ready for a change of pace in my life. I was ready for something different. So I went to the active duty recruiter um, as as that timeline overlapped, and I said, "Hey, I want to go active duty. Um, how far away can you get me from Pennsylvania?" and he said Alaska like works for me let's do this and uh and before i knew it um as as my guard contract ended in in august uh by i think uh, october november i was at maps and uh december i was i was on
0: my way uh to alaska through fort leonard wood why did you want to get so far away from pennsylvania
1: um you know you, as you grow up you're just, you just you realize that you just want to change um and also I was really attracted to, um, uh, to Alaska because I was supposed to go to striker brigade up at Fort Wainwright. And so having come from a mechanized infantry unit uh, in, in the guard, I felt like I, and at this point too, I'm an E5, I'm a, I'm a team leader. Uh, so um, it, it seemed like a really, really good fit, uh, but also too, just to young, just to go see something and do something wild. And so uh the the unit at Fort Leonard Wood screwed up, and as I got my orders from the you know the you know human um, resources people, yep. uh, my yep, my household goods were uh, going to Fort Wainwright. However, the orders that I in my hand had me going to Fort Richardson.
0: Now, at this know, point, those, those are two different bases in Alaska, but very they're much so. Alaska, but yes. they're two places yes
1: uh so as i as i researched it because i at this point had no idea what was going on at fort richardson uh, it was it was fourth brigade 25th id it, at that time it had just recently been stood up just for this uh, this uh, deployment to iraq uh but it was an airborne unit i was like wow i guess you know i could jump out of planes that sounds cool uh they were they were already deployed and having that that guilt inside of me um that i i you know fate Fate had me on that deployment, and I didn't go and I need to check that box i I need to be you know um fulfill that aspect of life so I went back into um you know the the, the i think pursecom and said look keep my orders where they're at it's a lot easier to change my household goods to Fort Richardson than it is to change my orders to to Wainwright
0: yeah uh, and they just gotta make a right turn instead of a left.
1: Exactly. And I had no idea. Um, I think the 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 challenge that, that that right turn was going to have in life.
0: Right. When you said uh I was really attracted to the striker brigade, you paused. I thought you were gonna tell me you were really attracted to a girl and that's why you were leaving. Yeah.
1: No, in fact, uh, all of this, all of this overlapped for when I met my wife and um, really. okay. we didn't know uh, she at that point, she was teaching in Colorado. She's from uh, from Pennsylvania. And we had just at that point, we had just kind of met and started dating. But she was going back to Colorado to teach. And now I'm going to Alaska. So now at that point, um, uh, I didn't I didn't
0: know it, but I had I had just started a relationship with my wife. See, D- divergent paths can come back together. There, Nick. it happens happens to the best of us. All right. So, you headed off to Alaska, Alaska in the Striker Brigade. Um and you said it was, you know, life-altering and life-changing. What happens next once you get there?
1: Well, so yeah, once I once I get to Richardson, um it's a it's a whole different reality and I knew that I was going to have a lot to learn. And as I came into into Fort Richardson, we went into what's called Replacement Brigade. Uh, or as, as a as a replacement in the brigade, just waiting to be um, assigned a unit and then fly out. And it was pretty clear early on which unit I was going to. I was going to Able Company, three five zero nine. Uh, just the 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 casualty reports were um, just uh, overwhelming. Uh, in fact, as as I was headed to Iraq, I crossed paths with our company commander who was coming out uh, because he was wounded. And so um, it, it was it was not hard to see as i was flying to or flying to iraq though um you you go through all of those feelings you know i chased this down is that you know why why did i do that you start getting nervous what
0: you oh, know, what yeah. if
1: i can't perform um you know up to up to the, the level these guys are at um and uh, as soon as i got there my most horrible um you know concerns came true pretty pretty you know pretty fast Ah, uh, because I was going from guard to active, which is already difficult. I'm not airborne, going into an airborne unit. Uh, that's never fun. There's all sorts of fun names for that. Um,
0: but also, they had been deployed dirty, for six. Dirty months. leg being the most.
1: Yeah, difficult. exactly. FNAP yeah,
0: nap and all that good stuff. Oh, Nothing like chewing on your own, right? It's, yeah. it's just, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Or we do best in the military, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they, they had already been in country for six months. Now, again, going back, this is the 15 months rotations. So they had already been there for six months. They've got nine months left. They've been continuously under fire. They've lost so many, you know, so many members of the team. Um, and now I'm coming in and, um, it, it was probably the worst first day, you know, outside of, you know, being, you know, killed, injured or, or, you know, something horrible. Uh, but it, my first day, I don't think could have gone any worse. Um, I'll, I'll never forget driving into, into um, my uh, uh, OP Delta. There's a big sign spray painted on the HESCO barrier uh, that says, welcome to OP Delta. Jesus hates you. And you're like, awesome. I, this is ah. uh, just a, a morale boost as, as soon as you drive in there. You gotta uh, love the
0: cynicism and sarcasm of soldiers, don't you? Like, just taste <laughs> yeah. it on real thick, don't we?
1: Yeah. We're and and at this point the unit is uh deployed to Fallujah to help augment the Marines there as, as part of the surge. And so there's also a, a healthy bit of, of um uh cross um, you know banter between us and the Marines of uh, you guys can, you know, lock down your area and like we, you know, we don't need you, get out. So there's so there's even that aspect, but um, you know, I'll never forget my first day. Um, my squad leader was less than enthused to have a you know uh, a national guard soldier uh, that had never been deployed now join his you uh, join his squad as a team leader um, as you know now there's already been a very good Um, uh, relationship formed and everybody knew what everyone was going to do. Everyone knew each other's skills and what they're, what they're great at and and what uh, they need to improve on. And then I get, you know, dropped right on them. And it was kind of clear from the beginning that um, this, this transition was not going to be what I expected it to be. Um, And I struggled, I struggled hard. I. um, Or mentally or physically. Or both. um, A little bit of both because. At that point too, in in Iraq, now we're in in IEDs. So there there's a lot of there's a lot of walking. There's a, a lot of nighttime operations. And I gotta tell you, I'm five foot five, and one thing I had never experienced in my life is the irrigation canals going through the farms in Iraq, and having to jump over some of these really really wide things. I'd look at these guys that are you know they're like six two all American soldiers, and you know they just have these long strides, and they're just basically walking over these things meanwhile you know i'm short so i'm taking about four steps to every to, to the other guys too so so i'm I'm smoked and then you know i'll see this this canal and I'm like i'm not going to jump over this i'm just going to face plant look like a you know idiot so i just you know travel through it um there's the you know the the bumps uh, there's just so much getting used to but the biggest struggle i had outside of um just uh, trying to become integrated into this team was the night fish getting guard you get You know the the old hand me down night vision, and you might use them once or twice during your annual training, uh, but not regularly. Now we're going into an environment where we basically only conduct night operations, where we are city uh, workers at night. Yeah, exactly. So um, not only just understanding that depth perception that I didn't have of um, oh, there's a, a Bump in the field, step over that bump. Instead, I would trip, fall on my face. You know, I, uh, everyone would laugh and we'd keep going. Uh, but or if we're if we're driving driving under nighttime conditions with with night vision, completely different experience. And these are things that I had to learn as we go because as soon as I got dropped into that unit, we are conducting operations, and I screwed up some of those operations uh, pretty good. Just as I tried to come up to speed, but I was not at the level as, um, you know, the other people in the unit. I really, really struggled with that, especially as I had, uh, it was, it was a weird experience for me, leading soldiers that were more talented than I was. And, and that was just this really awkward condition. And then I also had the self-pity My squad leaders mean to me. My first sergeant hates me. My, you know, the other squad leaders are, you know, pick on me and, and this is awful. And what the hell did I do? Why, you know, uh, why did I, you know, chase this down? All of this happening in a war zone. And so um, I'll I'll never forget though, um, you know, a a hand up changed my life. I I like to, to think. And so As I struggled, now you know weeks becoming into months, and I'm I'm just I'm I'm getting my butt kicked every. Ask one question
0: real quick. Sorry to cut you know you you talk so much earlier about you know wanting to be in this position, wanting to go on this deployment. You felt this guilt. You felt this this overwhelming sense of hey, I didn't do my duty kind of deal. And you get downrange, and all of a sudden you're in this scenario where you're being mentally pushed, physically pushed, and you're not sure if you can hack it. Uh, was there a part of you that thought you made completely the wrong decision and wanted out?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I, and uh, you know, up to that point, I've I, I, you know, in the guard, obviously it's different. But I'd always been a, a high performer. Um, I'd always done well. I'd always been really fast at learning things. And this was just completely. Uh, there was just no figuring it out. There was no um, no learning. It was. Uh, it was just trying to keep up and and not get any of my guys killed or or do anything to contribute to anyone being, you know, hurt. That was my, my first goal because I don't want that on, uh, you know, the, combat's already hard enough and too many things are out of your control. And and my biggest fear was something happening. That's within my control happening to, you know, and, and, and leading to one of my guys being, being injured or killed, especially as we're in this zone where there's, there's bullets flying
0: every day, you every day, there's a crack, you know, going, going over our OP. I got to tell you that, but that is one of the best motivating factors, not only in combat, but general in life, right? Like I just don't want to let anybody down. You know, and, and for me, you know, in in my deployment experience, the first one I went on, I was attached to Green Berets, and that was just the overwhelming feeling every day. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to let anybody down. It wasn't even about failing or getting something wrong. It was just about, you know, the repercussions of what happened when you make a mistake. I didn't want to let anybody down. And what a motivation that is every single day to be able to work on that. Although it feels like a lot of pressure sometimes, right? Although it feels like a big weight, um, it really gets you moving in a different gear sometimes, you know? So... Anyway, I was just curious what your thoughts and feelings were. So, so go on. You, you, your hand up was story. Yeah. Um,
1: so I'm I'm struggling with night vision, and one of the biggest things that I'm 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 screwing up in on our on our missions is when when we're about to raid an objective. So as we, you know, as we're as we're coming on to it, um, and then we uh, sometimes the you know the different squads come together uh, to get ready to to assault the objective. Well, I didn't have again that that um, that. Experience or that frame of mind to remember all the way back to the op order that said, you know, um, uh, third squad goes left, first squad goes right. Uh, we're, you know, gonna, we're going to flank around, you know, second squad's going to go, you know, forward through and we'll all meet at the end. I, I didn't have that presence of mind or that experience to really fully understand that. So when we got to the, um, you know, to the, to the staging point and we all got intermixed, I was struggling. There was a couple, there was a couple of missions where we'd all get, we'd all get together. Um, And then we'd all come back apart and I couldn't tell who is who. And, you know, I normally guessed wrong uh, and, and followed the wrong squad or, you know, the, uh, the wrong team um, to, to their objective. And now again, my, my guys are high and dry, having to figure it out. And, you know, once again, Sergeant Yo screwed up. And so I I brought my, I brought my team members together because obviously you can't have this. And I said, listen, guys, when we're in a scenario where we, where we get mixed up with another squad we're all going to put our hand up as we go to peel off. So we know who's who. And it wasn't, it was, it was for me. No one else needed that in the squad. That was for me. And um, uh, lo and behold, about a week or two later, uh, same scenario. Uh, We're coming up, we're about to write an objective and um, we start peeling off. And I'm just about to follow the guy in front of me. And to my left, I see a hand go up. And for the first time, it really dawned on me that I have got to get it together because I am not serving my soldiers well. Because time after time after time after time, as I'm trying to come up to speed, as I'm trying to, to do well, as I'm getting frustrated because I'm you know uh, you know people are mean to me and uh, and um, you know and I'm not fitting in. Um, I'll never forget that hand because that was the time that I realized I need to stop thinking about all of this other stuff. And I need to be here for my, for, for my soldiers. And I need to start leading them. I need to start stepping up our level within our team. And I need to start forgetting about the rest. And that was a huge turning point for me uh, in, in that deployment. And of course, then once, um, you know, once that internal focus really happened where it's like, listen, I, I don't care. I don't, you know, OK, I got, you know, you know, first sergeant's in a bad mood. Oh, well. And um, and who cares? What What am I doing for my soldiers right now? Um, how am I leading them better? How am I becoming a better leader? And then after that happened, things started, you know, kind of falling into place, uh, which was which was. Control what You
0: can control, right? I mean, that's what it boils exactly. down to. Yeah. You know, um, I just so started
1: focusing so on the right things.
0: There's so much in combat. That's a variable. There's so much, as you said, you can't control, right? And there's a randomness to it all that is completely impossible to figure out. And the only sanity you can give yourself, the only security you can give yourself in combat is to can control what you can control. And that's the way you train, the way you fight, um, the, the the standards with which you guys train and live by with each other to protect each other. All those things are things you can control to a, a degree that um, where the enemy doesn't necessarily have a say. Uh, exactly. To a certain extent, you're reacting to what the enemy does, but... That is, you know, that's pivotal. And and the laser focus there, I think, is important, right? Not only for uh, keeping your your soldiers alive, but also, you know, as you talked about, for your own mental clarity and sanity. Because any leadership position involves a lot of things coming at you at a very fast basis. Uh, And your ability to decipher and discern which of those things are the most important, which of those things that you need to react to the most, which of those things are ultimately, you know, life-threatening or not. Uh, all boils down to how quickly you can process all that stuff and then get back to controlling what you can control.
1: Yep. Now you're totally right. And, and the, the amazing thing about this unit is it was all very, very high performers um, but it didn't come together the way a unit normally would. And so a lot of the people in this unit, I mentioned how this, this brigade was stood up just for this deployment. Well um, at that point, they had contracts where you could come into the army and be guaranteed a a chance to become a ranger or be guaranteed the opportunity to go to special forces selection. Um, Well, not everybody makes it. And once you don't make it, you go needs of the army. And for a lot of these soldiers, they went into the army on ranger contracts, on special forces contracts and, and given the opportunity. And the majority of the time for things out of their control, they they didn't move forward and eventually they ended up in, you know at, um, with, with HR command and, and saying um, we need you in Alaska you're now needs of the army you know enjoy it there so these soldiers were actually extremely well some of them even went through a selection went uh, started off Q course and maybe got hurt or something um, so the the level of quality of, of the, the e4s and belows in,
0: in this unit were, were absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, we gave, the army said, we gave you your shot. Now we're doing it our way.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but so.
0: Um, well, when did you get injured in Iraq?
1: So and it's funny because we transitioned out of Fallujah after a couple months and I was thrilled. Because it the is,
0: breath of the breath of fresh yeah, air.
1: It was like, oh my God. we so we we joined back up with our brigade that was in the Babel province, uh south of Baghdad, um, and uh, went to perform operations down there. But uh, yeah, uh, I could not be happier to be out of Fallujah because that was That know, was the, the only war.
0: place when I was there in oh five to oh six that was the only place that really gave me the pucker factor that you know scared the hell and snot out of me. Like when they yeah. told you I need you to go out to Fallujah, and I'm just like, okay, why? Can I ask why? Am I allowed? To ask? <laughs> can we just bomb uh, it? Out? Yeah. Can, can we just call a couple of warthogs in and fix this? Um. <laughs> I mean, because I drove north, I drove south, I drove you know all throughout Baghdad and even areas of Sadr City. To me, as bad as it was at that point in time, didn't really give me that pucker factor that Fallujah did. And again, I was there when Marines were hung from the bridge, and you know all that that stuff had happened, and and you know you knew it was. Probably the worst. Place. Fallujah Ramadi were the worst places in Iraq at that point in time. And again, why you get the second battle of Fallujah in 2007 is because, you know, everything after the first one in 2004 had kind of, you know, boiled over again. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's what made it an incredibly tough place to be. So I, I totally understand your, hey, all right, we're getting out of Fallujah. Thank God, right? Yeah.
1: It was, and I,
0: I should be gravy.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget. I was like, "Wow, my life expectancy just just increased, <laughs> you know, a lot." Because, um, yeah, it was, you know, it's just a scary place to to be, and obviously, it, it did not uh, it, it did not go well for uh, for our unit while we were there. So, as we redeploy back into Babel Province, I'm, you know, uh, at this point now there's there's that camaraderie that has started to to develop there, that uh, that connection has has started to become better for me. And um, our very first patrol in at our new base, it was supposed to be a walking recon. And uh, we were going to start conducting operations in a new area. and there's a couple things that we wanted to see. Uh, but um, it's just clearing we,
0: operations, or was it just regular patrolling were you looking This was at just them?
1: a regular uh, this was just a regular patrol, um, uh, just a Intel Gathering. Uh, patrol on some areas that we were going to be operating in pretty soon. So there wasn't, it wasn't a raid. It wasn't, there was not a, a, a you know, a kinetic, um, you know, focus as, as you know much as there isn't one in Iraq, you never know. Uh, but, you know, that was really not the intent. It was a 12 kilometer movement just to um, to, to go through and understand now we're in a new place. Let's understand the, the lay of the land better. And so um, I was, I was on point for that whole movement, And um, we, you know, the majority of it again. Twelve kilometer movement, kilometers one through ten, no issue. You know, we did we did our thing and kept going. Um, As we came into kilometer eleven, there was a cluster of houses, and um, no big deal. I'm on point, so I'm I'm watching the rooftop of you know the first house while you know trying to scan uh, my peripheral vision for the rest. Nothing going on 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 the roof of the first house, so shift my focus and then just out of nowhere, um, come up over, over the roof and just start laying fire. And it's nighttime, uh, with some limited light. So I'm the only person that they can see, uh, to, to be able to fire on.
0: So the enemy and, comes over the rooftop and starts shooting. Yep.
1: Yeah, okay. yeah. and, and they're shooting down where they have high ground. And again, it's just nowhere to go, um, at that point. And I'll, I'll never forget, um, you know, getting, getting down in, in the prone and, and trying to find a place to, to shoot back from and you know, bullets are popping in the sand. I'll never forget the the feeling of the sand hit my face. Um, and, and you're just like, well, this is it because if they're, you know, eventually there's going to be that stray round that comes back and, and hits, hits my Kevlar and hits seven, six, two. So it's going. Um, and you know, you just, you pray that they hit you in the back in, in your back plate uh, because any, anywhere else is probably going to be game over. And um, and it felt like forever, it was probably about three or four seconds uh, before once again, you know, my soldiers saved me. Saw gunner opened up and, and, um, and, and they, you know, started laying fire on, on that rooftop to where a very, very accurate uh, directed fire became spray and pray. Uh, and I didn't know that I was shot at first um, it wasn't until our our platoon leader called for two hundred threes to be shot at this building. Now, again, we were it was kind of tight. I was pretty close to this building, and he's calling for two hundred threes. And all I thought was, "Please God, nobody actually shoot a two hundred three at this building because I'm right next to it." <laughs> Meanwhile, because uh, you know it goes boom and stuff goes flying, like well, right yeah. here, I survived this first. You know, this first barrage, uh, uh, oh. yeah. but. It, and in our unit, the the team leaders had 203s, and um, I knew that I wasn't going to shoot a 203 at this building uh, because I was too close. It was not going to have enough range to arm. So one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to shoot a 203 at it. It's going to go bink, fall, and now we have UXO to deal with. Or I'm going to shoot high, and who knows what I'm going to hit, but it's you know not going to be a good day for anybody. I was like, but I'll, I'll, you know, put a, put around round in, in there. And, uh, you know, so I'm ready for whatever. As I went to grab that, um, that, uh, that, that pouch, I was like, ah, like my, my hand hurt. And I was like, what, you know, what, what hurts so bad? And then I saw just the, the rip through my glove, let's see, um, of just, you know, a straight line, some blood, and I can see, you know, my, um, uh, the, you know, skeleton and, and oh. tendon from my thumb. And, I was just like, Oh my God. Uh, and I was like, Hey, I got, Hey, I'm hit. And, uh, soon leader says who's hit. And I was like, yo. And he's like, where are you at? And in the middle of, you know, still active firefight after I had just gotten shot in my left hand, I raised my right hand to say I'm right here. And it took me about a half a second to be like, what the hell am I doing <laughs> and, then, and put it back down. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget you know, my medic, and, and I, I don't think that anyone truly understands the, the heroism of, of medics, that they, without hesitation, without question, they move under fire. They don't even know what they're getting themselves into. They just know that someone needs to be treated, and, and they just go. And, uh, you know, Dr. Doddrell, he was, uh, so many, so many times he got called on to, um, you know, to go above and beyond, and he never failed. And And just to put it in perspective, now at this point, the uh docs moved up to me and now again still still active firefight, so I've got my weapon laying on my forearm as I shoot yep. as he's next to me wrapping up my wrapping up my finger as my brass from my weapon is basically just tinking off of his, his Kevlar. I don't know if any hit at his face. I hope not, because that would suck. Uh but um you know w- without you know without hesitation, without question, just um just execute and um every medic in in the military that i've ever experienced that's that's always been the mentality uh, but so uh wrapped up uh finally you know got got bad guys zipped them up uh the qrf came to uh to pick them up and to to run me over to the the medic center uh, eventually got um, medevaced and uh I, right away i realized that my wound wasn't that big of a deal um, uh, My roommate um, at um, uh, at Biop got shot in the head. It was a Marine that got shot in the head and it, it you know, came in straight ra- and the K-pot deflected it enough that it rattled around his skull and came back out. And so, and he was like, well, what happened to you? I was like, Oh, I got shot through my thumb. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and, and, and some of that just, you know, cross, cross rivalry, but um, you know, from, Uh, that kept me, I think from early on um, being too um, down on myself or, or feeling like, Oh my God, I got injured. Like I suck. It was, um, it showed pretty early that, you know, anything happens in war.
0: Um, You know, you had mentioned before that when you were in Fallujah, you know, you had guys were getting hit and guys were going down and you get hit. and, And the severity of the, the injury, I don't necessarily know that matters because there's a, like I said, the randomness, if you had hit the ground, a foot to the right you have a completely different set of results um you know and and acknowledging hey where i laid down was lucky enough not to be in the right spot. I mean yeah i can't tell you how many people i know were new that when idf indirect fire was coming in we're in the wrong spot sure. and uh they didn't do anything wrong there's just no way to know i say all that to say You know, uh, what does it do to your mindset? I know you said you had a pretty good idea of feeling like, hey, you know, I'm overall pretty lucky, nothing to be down about. But still, the reality of combat at some point has to hit you when you're watching other guys go down. Um, Did any of that start to take its toll on you while you were downrange?
1: Well, I got I was lucky enough that we did not lose any team members while I was with the unit. Um, uh, We did lose Sergeant Adams when when I was on leave. Um, But while I was with the unit, uh, we were under attack a lot. There was, you know, some, some soldiers were wounded, we didn't lose anybody during, during that deployment. Um, And I'm, I'm, you know, thankful. I'm I'm selfishly thankful uh, because I, I didn't, you know, none of, none of my soldiers uh, mostly through, you know, luck, not talent um, of my, of, you know, of, of their leader. Um, You know, they, they were extremely talented, but I'm, I'm always grateful that none of none of them got hurt or injured, Uh, but I didn't, it didn't really dawn on me how lucky I was until I got back into country uh, because, you know, everything, as you get medevaced out, everything gets cut off. You, you know, you're, um, once you get back on base, your weapon gets taken. And, and um, as I came back, I needed a new weapon be, um, because my mind had been shot so many times where I, I needed a lot of replacement parts.
0: Right. And I
1: think at that point it had hit me that when you see, you know, six rounds had, had, you know, hit, you know my my weapon um and only and only one clipped me um become very you know very thankful and and uh and um again just continuing to want to push forward and as i i think i'm one of the only ones that were actually able uh to to go return to duty after you know after my injuries i had to go i think like a couple times a week to get like the scar tissue worked out and um but other than that i was able to to return to mission and um, I, and I'm, I'm thankful for that too, because I feel bad for a lot of individuals who are wounded hold out and they're never really able to go back to kind of close that chapter. There's always that question of, Oh, I wish I could have, you know, gone and finished out the deployment with my soldiers. And I was lucky enough to be able to do
0: that. Um, you mentioned that you lost somebody while you were on leave uh, for a guy who, um, you know, was feeling guilty for not being there the first time originally when they went, Uh, there, was there any residual guilt about losing a guy when you weren't there? Maybe a thought, like, if I didn't go on leave, he might still be here.
1: Um, No, Um, only because uh, Sergeant Adams was in a, in a different squad. He, uh, or in a different platoon. Um, He was in first platoon. I was in third platoon. So I had, I had known him through passing. um, But, but we weren't, you know, close or best friends. Um, I always, I, you know, always remember him as someone that was, you know, nice to me and, and supportive as I struggled uh, to to try to get acclimated to this new environment and and this new unit. But um, it, uh, you know, it definitely um, it made it harder, I think, to everyone. And it was a, a big reminder on um, we're not done yet. You know, we were we moved out of because again, still, this is that time period where we've moved out of Fallujah. We've, you know, we've, we've moved to Babel province and everyone had that same, I think, you know, I, not speaking for, uh, for all the other soldiers, but I think everyone had that sigh of relief, like, Oh my God, we're not in Fallujah. Okay. Life's easy now. And, you know, a couple of things happened pretty quick to, to remind us, no, we're, it's still Iraq. It's still a war zone.
0: Uh, how does that deployment end? I mean, you're, you're right back in there on the deployment after the injury. So um, you end up coming home with everybody. How does it end?
1: uh pretty you know pretty standard um we um we wrapped up our deployment with um, working with the Iraqi police to develop a a fortified uh patrol station and and help them man it we were um we moved from our cozy little uh base in, in Babel province um you know from FOB Kalsu uh to um you know back into the the city with you know MREs every day and uh and and burn pits uh so uh we we finished that up um all the way really till the end and before we know it, we're on, uh, you know, on the trip back home. And, uh, and that was that.
0: Was there a thought after you did this that, Hey, okay, I wanted to do this. I checked the block. I don't need to do this anymore kind of deal. Or were you like many of us after your first deployment, you almost start itching for another one.
1: Uh, I don't know that I started itching for another one. And, uh, part of that though, too. And, and one, I, I never really fit in, uh, with a lot of the infantry guys, um, because I don't I don't know that I, I ever really had that itch. It was more, okay, I'm here, I'm doing this. It is what it is. Um, and that really kind of served me well, though, as we moved into next deployment, uh, because then we we went through that reset period. Uh, people, you know, people leaving to go be a drill sergeant or recruiter, um, new people coming in because they're coming off the, the trail. Uh, we're doing our, our retraining. And that really helped me out a lot because that was really what should have happened when I went to striker brigade. When I went to striker brigade, they were in a in a reset. So you have that time to train together, to to develop that camaraderie, to um uh you know, develop that speed and, and proficiency together. But now during during this reset, that really helped me out a lot. And also I got to go to airborne school first, thank God. So um, you know, that you that, <laughs> get that of off your back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So
0: <laughs> Did you guys did, did your guys give you a lot of crap about it? Like, hey, finally it's about time kind of deal when you were done?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I I think I was uh, like the one or two jumper on our, on our first uh, uh, jump on, on uh, when, when I got back. And so uh, it, but again, it, now I'm, I'm getting more, I think, comfortable after, you know, all this time in deployment. Uh, it's about this time too, that my wife came up to Alaska, or now my, my, uh, girlfriend came up to Alaska. Uh, we got married, um, like many do in a very, you know, small ceremony with the justice of the peace in a hotel lobby. And, uh, you know, that, that stereotypical, um, military wedding. And, uh, uh, before I knew it, though, we were we were on our way to Afghanistan, um, and well, not uh, we, that... yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was uh, staying, our right. unit, not my wife. Yeah, she yeah, she, yeah. she stayed back with the dog. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, how uh, did you
0: guys make that whole relationship thing work while you were downrange and everything? Was it just communication back and forth?
1: Yeah, um, you know, at that point, um, their you know email was was pretty um, easy not to do. use. Right? Yeah. Um, every once in a while you get like the satellite phone, At Fallujah, I think we got to call home maybe once a week with the satellite phone, the, the, um, squads kind of passed it around. Um, so that was tough. I, I can't speak enough, not, not just for Nicole, but for all military spouses, girlfriends, significant others, family members, because I know what I'm doing that day. I know if it's a, a if it's a mission planning day, I know if it's a sit around on the vehicles because it's QRF or if we're going to be in the towers or if we're, rating an objective and I'm pretty sure it's going to be, you know, a, a horrible day. Um They don't, you know, my, my mom, my wife, they don't really understand that. And and I'll never forget having to come back to Afghanistan especially, or Iraq after I'd gotten shot. Um, and, 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 just seeing my mom, especially, cause now it's not just her, her boy uh, went to war. It's he's already been shot and it's now he's going back and and same thing too with Afghanistan um you know you you start wondering like am I like a um uh, should, should I not be here maybe that's the universe telling me like hey
0: uh probably a poor choice to do this <laughs> uh did your mother or your wife ever ask you about what what went on down there um
1: somewhat and you know I I I'm lucky enough that I could be relatively open. It wasn't, you know, we're not Delta Force doing super confidential, you know, crazy stuff. So um generally speaking, I could be very open. I could uh go into Google Earth and show them right where I got shot, um and you know, what that lay of the land is like. So that's you know, that's that's nice to be able to do. Um and it also is therapeutic to just be able to kind of talk about it because um whether I, you know, I think um you know, uh, that combat impacts everybody differently, but it impacts everyone. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, it always, uh, it, it's also challenging to, to talk about it because it came in during that time of quiet professionalism, do your job, shut up, you know, be done, go on to the next thing. And it's, it's not like that feeling of like, I'm amazing. And look, I have a purple heart and, you know, I, I should get free dinner at Applebee's or, you know, it's not that, that mentality it's just like you know what i went i did my job um i didn't even really think about what i was doing other than uh, am i am i doing right by my soldiers
0: yeah and i think that's you know obviously the, the the more paramount part of it but uh as you get back to afghanistan is there any sort of are you feeling better heading into this deployment than you were the last any sort of trepidation
1: yeah no i definitely feel a lot better i i'm Better trained, especially, um, but but still, um, I, I I would not consider myself still at the you know at the point where especially all the other you know team leaders were at um, in terms of just proficiency, and um, I was I was really given a great opportunity to come off of the line. And it's something that really changed my life because was, I feel like you know I'm a smart guy and I would have eventually gotten there, but I still wasn't progressing as fast as I would have liked. But there was an opportunity to come off the line and work with our leadership on non-kinetic operations, on working on the the development aspects, and and kind of thinking through the impact we're having in 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 our area of operations, um, and work with other non-governmental organizations on the projects that are planned in, in, in our sector. And that was huge for me. That was a great opportunity for me to really just kind of breathe, um, to, to be able to use, you know, um, a, a different, um, you know, muscle. Uh, but it also, I think showed me that it's, it's okay. Like I'm, I can be good at other things. Like it's okay to not be know the best team leader, the best squad leader, because I can be really good at other things and and, you know contribute in different ways. So it was it was always tough, especially if the guys were going on like a long mission, if they were going to be gone for, you know, a week or two. Remember we were there when Bo Bergdahl walked off his base and um oh, you know, to, to, Yeah. And and to see the guys go out for, you know, one, two weeks at a time, just you know, kicking down doors to try to find the guy and and I'm there and now I'm a headquarters asset. So I'm working in the talk. And there's you know there's always that um that uh, you know, that that kind of pain inside. Um, but, you know, that also kind of inspired me to to work harder to do better at what I was tasked with doing. And I think it went really well. Um, at that point now. I'm 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 promoted up to staff sergeant and I'm really having an impact on um on our local population in terms of the hearts and minds aspect.
0: Was there any part of you that after being in the jock and being away from the boots on the ground sort of aspect of the job, was there any part of you that missed that?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, the, just the, uh, you know, the, the guys come back, they're coming back dirty. They're, you know, sweaty and everyone smells and, um, and, uh, the, you know, just the, um, you know, that level of
0: camaraderie, you miss it. Um, yeah. You know, well, um, you know what it is too. It, when you get back from a mission and everybody's alive and everybody's safe, right. It's, it's, there's such a rewarding feeling and all that. Um, and even if stuff gets hairy, uh, and everybody gets out, but it almost brings you even closer when the stuff gets hairy that everybody walks out of, you know, God forbid, you know, and, and thank God it didn't happen to you and it didn't happen to me, that anybody that, uh, that I took out, you know, didn't come back, but you talk about that whole thing and you kind of brought a visual burn in my mind because I can remember what it was like walking, you know, getting back on base, you know, going straight to the chow hall or whatever it was, cause you had eaten in eight or nine hours, like just to grab something to eat and you're all sweaty, you know, you just look different. Everybody else is in their regular uniform, right? But you just look different and you got... Your body armor and everything else and there's a sweat line from where you know yep. you uh you were wearing the body armor versus your sleeves and everything else dust all over your face and
1: yeah you have that line across your forehead yeah, from where right, like it's like from, dust yeah. from here down
0: yeah yep. yeah uh and if you were dumb enough to wear those stupid goggles you know you had the the, the big raccoon eyes um, exactly yeah, i could like, always tell who was
1: gunner it. that day Yeah. um right. but uh but no it, and it was it, it did end up being a struggle because especially when bergdahl went went off um, there was a a pretty significant um, uh, um, attack on on one of our FOBs where our unit was split. Uh, we were we were at one base, we were in o- Oregon E, and um, uh, two other platoons were um, were tasked to go um, uh, like up and really up in the mountains, and they got I mean destroyed. We had you know multiple casualties, multiple um, significant um, uh, 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 wounds and injuries up there. And um, yeah, that uh, the whole Bergdahl thing. Obviously, I mean, we could talk forever. Um, there are so many aspects of him walking off that base that really aren't well understood because it's too often focused on him and his his direct actions. But people don't realize what happened in support of him moving, and actually, a, a very uh, intelligent enemy that knew how they could they could attack certain places to move assets to cover. You know, to cover his transportation out of the the uh, country, it um, you know, it that that one uh, event changed, I think, everything for for the rest of that deployment.
0: Yeah, I mean, the frustrating part about what Bo Bergdahl did, more than anything, um, is the lives that were lost trying to find him. Yep that's the that's the part that'll never I'll never let go. Just and, and again, I wasn't attached personally to anybody there or anything else, but you know, it's one of those things where uh, we don't leave anybody behind. Um, and even if of his own volition, he chose to walk off that base uh, and go rogue and do whatever he wanted to do. Uh, the fact that you broke sort of the code that, you know, you know, you're going to put other people in harm's way. It's like you said before, right? You just don't want to put anybody, you don't want to let anybody down. You don't want to make sure that you're the reason that other people are getting injured or killed and Exactly. the reason other people got injured and killed. And that, is a very hard pill for any of us to swallow, whether we were there or not, on the surface. If you've been in combat before and bullets have whizzed by your head and bombs have blown up in the truck, underneath the truck that you're in, you know that that's not anything you want anybody else to experience and would never put anybody in that way, in in, in harm's way willfully. And again, that's generally what happened there. Yep. Uh,
1: and, and, and it's not just the casualties that came from. You know, knocking down doors it's uh it's it's the casualties that that came a, of uh you know distracting attacks and um yeah uh i you, know, you know july 3rd and, and the the irony of that day was it was um two years to the day that i had been shot and so that day was already kind of on my radar of um of like oh wow it's you know my two-year anniversary um and and that's when you know the 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 attacks started happening and um again and um as a lot of us then moved up to, up to, um, that, that OP to, um, help out and and, uh, provide a QRF force and help augment. Because again, these guys now were in a firefight, like for quite a long time. And, and they just needed someone to work the tower so they could catch some sleep. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that happened that were went well beyond just, you know, saving him. I, you know, my, my feelings on it. I, I agree. I, you know, we don't leave anyone behind. I, yeah, it's. It was a it was a really stupid thing for for him to do. A lot of people lost their lives. A lot of people got injured. Um, uh, I, I'm, supportive though of of bringing them home because we we don't do that as 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 you know
0: yeah. whatever
1: stupid thing people do, we you know we don't leave them behind.
0: No, and again, I I think those are two separate things, and two things okay. can be true. It was a really asshole, selfish you know move that got people hurt and killed in the same respect that doesn't justify us leaving him there for the enemy to do with what they want. I mean, that's just not, you know, we, we, we don't play that game. So, um, but reasonable minds can choose to disagree. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily germane to, to your specific story in any size, way, shape or form, but it does shape a little bit of, of, you know, it's funny because when you look back on, on everything, uh, and and recently I've come across interviewing some, you know, Afghan vets, uh, people who were at, abbey gate when it exploded and everything else. And, you know, there is a general sense of, um, you know, when you you put these, these hindsight 2020 glasses on, and you think of things like Bo bird and all the people that went after him and everything else, there's a sense of well, what the hell do we do? That Was was that really worth it? Right. Was it all really worth it? Was all the lives we sacrificed to find that guy worth it? When it, was a, it was a trade that they could have made at any point in time to, to get the guy back. Right. I mean, so the the prism and the perception with what we view certain things after the fact, I think, changes as we get more time and more distance from it. Um and I don't know that we get necessarily more clarity, Nick, but I think we get some level of emotional distance that allows us to view things differently.
1: Yep. Yeah. No, completely agree. And and um and it, it took a, a long time, even after we came back. It was there were still so many questions on on why he did it, why you know, and and um, and sadness about, you know, our, our, um, you know, our, our unit members that were lost, um, in, in, you know, in, in the attacks that were covering up the movement, um, it was because then it pulled all the air assets to, to support the, um, support the FOB. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, still, I, I, no one knows it, it's frustrating, but, but, you know, eventually, um, you know, that deployment ended, um, and came you know came home but i had so much success and i really enjoyed doing these development activities that i thought you know what maybe that's my calling maybe uh you know i do okay in the infantry but you know i'm not like i'm i'm not an all-star so but i did really well at, at doing development activities and so at that point i put in my civil affairs packet and go to fort bragg start going through the civil affairs pipeline um, and at that point, it's really kind of the peak. You know, now my mili- my military career has peaked at that point. Um, I just didn't know it uh, because then um, it, it, I I never really thought how I could relate to my my uh, soldiers in Iraq that came in on a special forces contract or Ranger contract, and then just really just out of the the randomness of a a percentage of a school saying, look, only 50% fail or 50% pass. Um and and being kind of a I, I don't like to say victim, but um you know kind of uh, ended up in kind of a really unfair position uh that that led to me, you know, no I don't want to say being kicked out, but apparently, you know, as as going through two combat deployments and um and being shot and having, you know, um working through all that having depression and having antidepressants and then being told, Oh, you're on antidepressants. You can't be here. You're gone. And it's like, well, what? Uh, and and I, I was taken back because I, at that point had given everything I had, you know, to the best of my abilities to the military um, hoping that one day if I ever needed, you know, like a, Hey, you know, technically, yes, you, you know, this should happen, but, you know, we'll, you know, let it slide. Nope. And so um, uh, that was, you know, that was that out of, out of nowhere. It was, um, it was, it was extremely shocking. Um, and, and that's a a crazy conversation to come home and have.
0: Mm-hmm. Where, where did the, the depression science antidepressants get to come into play? Was it just, how did it, you're we all- going out
1: in the field and doing a bag check and dunk bags, um, and um, I was like, oh, hey, like when, you know, going through the so they're going through checking all your stuff, and uh, so, you know, go through my shaving bag, and I'm like, okay, yep, here's my, um, you know, here's my, uh, you know, shave gear, and oh, here's my medicine, and um, they're like, what's the medicine for? And I was like, "Uh, one's like multivitamin, one's an antidepressant, and it was like, what? And like, that was I didn't even think anything of it to to hide it, obviously, because then I wouldn't have said anything. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was just, a uh, it was a, a field phase where there's a bag check and they're like, well, you can't, you know, you can't be out of the field cause you're not allowed to have this. And if you're off antidepressants, you could, you know, go off and do crazy things and you're done. And so again, and, and at that point I really felt even, even harder for some of those guys that, that were in Iraq that were, you know, a, a casualty of not being, uh, you know, early enough in line for the push-ups at, uh, you know, at, at ranger school uh, and, and, you know, popped out of there because they, they want to meet a quota. So, you know, at that point, just like them, I went needs of the army um, and ended up going to Fort Polk, uh, Louisiana to, to serve out, you know, my time in ops group. And just like a lot of my soldiers in Iraq, I was pissed. I, I was, uh, I was like this, you know, this is unfair. This is ridiculous. um And, and we see now the impacts though of a lot of that as we see, you know, um, you know, not just special forces, but any any special operations unit, especially PsyOps, especially civil affairs, how understaffed they are because there was just a a um focus on, on cutting anybody for any reason so they could show how elite the school was. And meanwhile they they, you know, let a lot of you know a lot of people go. It ended up great for me. Um, you know, I I didn't know that at the time, uh, but I finished Finished off my time in the, the Army um, at Ops Group working with um, units that were getting ready to deploy and um, in, in, um, um, developing the, uh, role players that would be, you know, if they were going to Iraq, we'd bring in a unit and make them pretend to be the Iraqi police, the Iraqi Army. Um, and, uh, and and so I got to work with those units. But at that point now, I'm wrapping up. I, I've now finished off my four-year degree. Now I'm wrapping out my master's degree. Um, i've kind of lost my love for the army um i you know if i if I had to jump i'd you know just sit there and just be like Ugh, i really don't feel like doing this today and so I knew it was time for a change um plus you know my my daughter had been born um and uh in, in you know i'm I'm thankful that a lot of uh that that hard work and resilience that I learned in Iraq, especially has then followed me into my civilian career. Uh, because that's really, same lesson, all I'm really focused on, on is, am I doing right by by those individuals that I'm working with every single day? And what can I do to make things better?
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting, you had 13 total years of services, so 13 plus, um, what about seven in active duty, right? Six or seven, right. seven, yep, seven. Um Usually there's that whole speech that comes along with it. Oh, you're so close to 20. Why don't you just stay? Um, you said you fell out of love with the army. How did you know you had fallen out of love with the army?
1: Um, really, uh, there, it's funny how life is, is, uh, uh, you know, can, can be put into a a couple defining moments. You know, for instance, when, uh, when I was at Leonard Wood and they, they screwed up my orders, that's a, a defining moment in my life. Um, I'll, I'll never forget I was visiting my wife um, in because uh, she had stayed back in North Carolina to teach because Lord knows there's nothing to do in Leesville and Ritter, Louisiana. Um, but uh, so so I was back visiting her. We were out to dinner one night, and, and I was just unhappy. And she made the comment, "She's like, what are we doing here?" And at that point, I don't think that I had really ever considered getting out of the military. I was just I was here. Yeah, know, I'm, I'm an E six, I'm probably, you know, flirting with E seven pretty soon. Um I'm I'm doing okay in, in my role uh knowing that I'm I'm probably gonna be uh getting uh uh you know restationed pretty soon to a different unit, probably a deploying unit. Um but but it, that was the first time that I really it, it occurred to me that I could just get out and, and start over.
0: I mean scary. <clears throat> did she ever tell you what made her pick up on the fact that, you know, you weren't happy?
1: I think that um, not to go too far into it, you know, at this point now, um, I, I I was really still just bitter about what happened during, you know, the civil affairs pipeline. Um, I'm now physically distanced from, you know, from my wife. She's in North Carolina. I'm in Louisiana. That's, you know, that's challenging. Um, I'm not really on the line in an infantry unit, so there's not really that camaraderie there. It's more of a um, independent con- or uh, individual contributor role. I'm working to to mentor and and um, um, uh, put these uh, role players into the field. So it's just it's just time. Um, I and again too, my my daughter coming into the world. Now I'm going to be an infantry, you know, squad leader with an MBA. It's just it was just, none of it was, was fitting together in in a good way.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, I'll never forget... have MBAs to begin with, let alone, yeah. you know.
1: <laughs> well, I'll never forget talking to, um, uh, talking to my commander um, when I was thinking about getting out and because re-enlistment time was coming up and um, I was like, Oh, when are you going to re-enlist? I was like, no, nah, I'm going to get out. Uh, you know, I, I take my time in the army's done. He's like, no, you're not. Well, you know, just let me know when you're going to re-enlist. I was like, Okay. Um it was it was just crazy that um power of you know, listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hard to believe they're having trouble recruiting. Um but you know it, it worked out well. I've I've been able to to do well in my career. It's scary as hell getting out of the military and having to find a job and knowing that, you know, no matter no matter in the military, as long, as big of a screw up as you are, you know you got a job tomorrow. And like you can, you know, you can accidentally burn down a, your barracks and you're still going to be employed the next day. Um, in, in the civilian world, you don't have that level of comfort. You can, you know, um, some some things are in your control, some things are out of your control, but at the end of the day, your life can change like that. And so um, I've been extremely blessed to, um, to have that hard work pay off because I also know a, a lot of people haven't um, had that luck of um, to, you know, work hard to contribute to the team to maintain their education, to, to be you know collaborative leader. Um, and uh, now to to be in a position I'm at where I get to be a, a, a manage a program where we help people with multiple myeloma. Um, you know, treat that to, to you know, have a, a longer life and higher quality of life. And even, you know, more than that, be able to, to work with another individual as, as leaders of our Veterans Employee Resource Group. We've got over 600 members where we get to work with a, a, a major organization to guide our recruitment, our um, career progression um, activities, our um, relationships with the community, I'm gonna ensure that we're advocating for all of the 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 veterans, the family members, the active, you know, the 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 members that are still active in the guard, um to, you know, have that that point of view and that passion to still serve that community. So uh it's it's always amazing to me to think about my first day in Iraq, you know, and then the the journey um to, to where I am
0: now. Um Usually when guys get out of the military, if they haven't, you know, done the 20 or anything else or they leave active duty within the first six months to a year, there's something that feels like that they made the wrong decision or was pulling them back. Did you have any of that?
1: No, um, I I had a, a great support system. And again, though, the, it kind of goes back to the, the comment I made earlier. There was always something just a little bit different um, in, you know, in, in in my mentality and the way I approached it. Um, Versus, um, you know, some of some of the or a lot of the other infantry guys I was with, Um, and while that sucked, while I was there, um, you know, it wasn't about um, you know doing wacky things to you know make everyone laugh and be silly and um, and and uh, um, or you know just die for more action. Um, You know that that didn't serve me well during my time at the line, Uh, but you know later later in life it's worked out pretty well.
0: I uh, I wonder when you look back on, you know, your time in the military, what do you miss the most?
1: Uh, I miss jumping. Um, as soon as I had kids, um, I, uh, uh, I, I, I was, not as soon as I had kids, but after having kids, I and got out of the military. I asked my wife, uh, I was like, hey, I think I want to go skydiving. I kind of missed that, you know, that, that nervousness no matter how many times you do it like as soon as you know as soon as you you um hook up you know and you're like oh crap i'm really going out of this plane today
0: Um, Gravity's going to win here
1: yeah exactly Uh, apparently we you know the, the winds are are not high enough for this to get scratched um but you always have that butterfly of you know um too often you go through these really high intensive activities and, and then you get to yeah. real life and things are kind of boring, but jumping was always that thing that gave me, uh, that made me nervous. And, and I, you know, I really miss that. I, I, I miss some of those relationships some of that camaraderie
0: that you say, say, when you said you wanted to go skydiving, you went too fast.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, apparently when you have kids, you're not allowed to do that. That's what my wife told me. So that's, that's how that ended very quickly. Uh, yeah. That, that was, that was not a long conversation um but you know playful, i think
0: playful fun here
1: more yeah exactly likely get,
0: more likely to get from your wife the ability to go skydiving or a hall pass
1: <laughs> oh uh
0: skydiving yeah. okay right. I, I don't plus i i don't even know, <laughs> I don't know. what i was <laughs> I'd,
1: I'd just be like you sit there i want to play video games because now i got the the evening to myself uh but um you know i think one thing though that that has really um has impacted me and, and and I think a lot about are the suicides that have happened. And unfortunately, you know, between my my guard units and, and active duty, um I've had, you know, to deal with more more suicides than I, I'd like to count. I think, you know, it's at set it's at nine all have, of yeah. soldiers that uh you know that I've I've served with in, in one um in one way or another that have taken their own lives and and that's still just I I I I it's a struggle because these are people that have done amazing things in life that have, have, you know, put them themselves on the line that, you know, many times were have have done truly heroic things and, and somewhere along the line, something goes wrong. And, uh, and, and you don't know that someone's having that struggle um, and, until it's too late. And, and so not having that, that same time to really see when someone is acting differently like when you're deployed with so, you know a team member you can tell pretty quick when when something's going you know kind of sideways but but once you get out and and civilian world happens and and sometimes you know i'm i'm um I, I feel i'm you know more successful in my civilian career than i was in my military career a lot of people that's backwards they you know have done amazing things in the military They can't quite get the civilian life aspect right um but I think that's you know, the biggest thing I, I, I miss is having that connection, being able to to be there and, and easily um kind of help people out when they're um going through struggles because now that everyone's all you know in their in their lives and families and all parts of the country, you get disconnected until, you know, sometimes you get just the, you know, horrible news.
0: Yeah, I'm you know and there is a certain amount of um You know, that disconnection that that feeds into veteran suicide, right? I mean, like you said, we're all together. Um, That camaraderie is, and, and, you know, you said it before, those are the things you miss the most, right? It's just knowing that you got your buddy next to you, you have somebody next to you that, uh, one, you know, always has your back. Um, Two, we'll never leave, right? Like, they're not walking out of the foxhole on you. And, um, you know, that that reciprocity that you do the same for them is, is connective tissue that uh, that is only forcefully broken by separation from the military and each other. And so when you lose that, um, a lot of, a lot of veterans are searching for another, another squad, another platoon, another you know place that they can have those same feelings. And when they don't get them, it becomes very difficult to deal with, which brings me back to you. Um, where are you with everything? Uh, where are you with your own, mental health journey and and what you've gone through and everything that you had to go through. And, um, you know, have you unpacked all those boxes yet in in the compartmentalized spot in your brain? And, and what does that feel and look like for you?
1: I think it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a journey. I think, um, looking back there are, you know, there, there are times in the military that, um, you know, that, that, for one reason or another they just stick with you and it's it's hard to to get over it um whether it's you know it's something that happened in in direct combat or or maybe something you know an interaction that happened with um you know your squad leader or or another team member or um or you know just something that happened out uh you know out in the population um, on a patrol that just something you know crazy happened and you're like oh jesus now I can't unsee that um and so there, and there's also still that isolation factor that that I have to deal with because I, you know, as I mentioned about going from uh, the line to kind of a, a more individual role, um, you know, honestly, I, you know, I felt very closed off. It was it was something I I struggled with because um, uh, it's such a, a huge change in life. So um, I'm I'm thankful that really veterans have the resources that we do, and that's also where I get really just confused and, and misunderstand, uh, you know, everyone has their own journey and, and their own difficulties, but I, you know, I feel the the VA, generally speaking, um, does, you know, the, the best job it can. I've, I've never been challenged for care. I've never been challenged for, you know, getting any kind of medication I need or support that I need. Um, uh, and I've, I've got a, a great family and a, a great support system too. So um, I, I don't know if, if I'll ever be back to, you know, National Guard, Nick, where life's easy and, oh. uh, and, you know, it's great. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's a journey.
0: Nick, to a certain point, and I've said this repeatedly on the show, um, regardless of what you were involved in, in combat, um, the person you were before combat dies the minute you get there. Cause you're not the same person. You'll never be the same person. It's impossible for you to have gone through what you went through, lived through what you lived through, see what you saw, and still be the same person you were before you got there. So there is a mourning, uh, a self mourning of all of us that we have to do uh, in letting go of that person that we were, and learning to live with the person that we are. And in that process, as you mentioned, in that journey, you know there are a lot of bumps along the way, there are a lot of stumbles, there are a lot of falls, um, and you know, for me, it's the one area of my life where I I give myself more grace than anything else. You know, sometimes I, I you forget that you live with post-traumatic stress, uh, and you just sort of live every day. And then every now and then something happens that reminds you, hey, uh, you know, you need to cut yourself some slack here because you're not going to get everything right every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh that you you know, aren't defined by what happened to you and you're not defined necessarily by your reaction to those things when you had them, What you are defined by is who you are now and how you choose to live with it all. And that ultimately kind of decides the path and the, the perception with which we view life. And sadly enough, it's kind of what separates those who are still living and those who are still are not after the fact, you know, that ability to give yourself some grace and, and self-love and, and understand um that what we went through was held and back and that, you know, there, there, there's, there's a, a light on the other side there's a greener grass on the other side. You just got to keep walking towards it. Even if you can't see it. Yep.
1: Completely agree.
0: You know, and I think that ultimately is kind of what, you know, at least from a military standpoint, I can't speak to necessarily other aspects of life and I'm not qualified to, um, but from a military aspect that is, you know, what succeeding in mental health is, uh, to a certain extent, and it's not cookie cutter. Everybody does it differently. What you went through and what I went through are different, and how we 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 process those emotions and those feelings aren't going to be different. Are going to be different. They're not going to be the same, but there is a certain amount of you know understanding um, and allowing yourself to feel emotions sometimes that you don't want to feel.
1: I think that's also one area where things have, have gotten better over time as as things are, are more, you know, understood because going, you know, be, being in, it's, uh, you know, who did more? Who's who's the bigger cool guy who, you know, like, oh, you, you know, uh, you didn't, you know, whatever you did wasn't that great. Look what I, you know, look what I did or look what those guys did. And so, um, and I think that's why a lot of people have pushed their mental health under the rug because they don't feel like they did you know, they really did anything. And, and meanwhile, like you mentioned, everyone's different. Everyone's got their own journey.
0: Yeah. And and the comparison game is stupid. Uh, It's not about that. You know, I've said forever about this whole thing. Um, You know, when it comes to military and and we talked about this a little bit at the top of the show, like, you know, uh, people talk about that. I don't have that great of a story. I said, well, look, you know, everybody's got their piece of the pie, right? Uh, and some people's piece of the pie is bigger, and some people's piece of the pie is more important, but you don't get the whole pie without every single piece, so regardless of how big or small your sliver is, you don't get the whole pie without everybody's story, and that's kind of what this is all about, and that's why guys like you are important, and hearing stories like yours are important, because it's part of the pie, Uh and, and you know, we don't get that total, complete effort without everybody, And and I think that there is value in that, and it's part of the reason this show exists, and hopefully will continue to exist is just to share stories like yours. Because again, I, I would tend to think and this happens more often than not, because I usually get notes and emails or whatever from guests who have come on, you know, after doing the show, they they kind of just do, do a deep breath and reflection. And there's a certain catharsis of this whole thing of reliving it all and going through it all again. And you just say almost like a weight lift off your shoulders. You're like, Phew. man, it was, it's been a long time since I downloaded all that stuff. And then you remember that, the journey is continuing to download that you can't just, you know, you empty the box once in the closet and it's like, well, Hey, guess what? The next season comes and the box gets filled back up. And some of that stuff that you emptied out ends up back in there again. You got to empty it all over again.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's no, just like, Oh, I'm
0: good now. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't get to a spot where, you know, you're not cured from post-traumatic stress. You just live with it. You just manage it. Yep. Uh, and that's part of the understanding of it. And, you know, um, I hope to hope to that aspect, you know, that some of this discussion for you is, is you know, uh, at least providing with a little relief and, and catharsis and, and ability to kind of just, you know, decompress a little bit. And, uh, you know, go go look at your wife and your kids a little bit later on and realize that, hey, man, there was uh, my journey to get here was pretty awesome. Uh, and now that I am here, it's it's exactly where I'm supposed to be.
1: No, completely agree, and that's why I appreciate what you do with with you know, bringing everyone's stories. Uh, it's you know it's remarkable that your your show uh, has is is where it is. I think what you're approaching 400 episodes.
0: 350. Yeah, we'll be at 350 by the before the end of the year. So
1: yeah, and so that's a, that's a lot of dedication and time. So thank you for for
0: what you do. Real quick, tell me about uh, what you're doing with Sanofi. Um, you just a pharmaceutical company. I know you're the the veterans employee resource group director, right? Correct. And so um, I
1: I really have two roles. Uh, First is uh, we have a a multiple myeloma drug and um, we have a, a program where we try uh, different kind of treatments, and we work with doctors around the world uh, to see how we can better impact our, our patients' lives. Uh, but then in my role as veterans, uh, employee resource group, co-lead, um, there's there's two of us, and we really spend a lot of time with our, our company leadership and our over 600 members in, in the company that are part of our ERG to help better recruit, because I'm selfish, I want all that veteran talent that's out there. I Uh, want that uh, at my company. I, I, you know, I understand the value that veterans bring. Send your resume. (laughs) Exactly. Bring it on. Uh, So yeah,
0: Communications I'm I'm, I'm there.
1: Yeah, it's uh, no, it's completely self-serving because I I want all that veteran talent on my team. Uh, But no, so we, you know, we look at our our career development because, look, the fact of the matter is, over a third of veterans are, are underemployed because we've spent time. In in deployed areas, because we don't have whatever little certification that they, uh, you know, that a a, a job posting requires. So there's, you know, our underemployment rate is is a third. So anything that I can do to help that within our company, I'm I'm happy to do. Whether that's getting veterans that are already at the company uh, to help uh, them move up to where they they should be um, in comparison with you know peers. Uh, but also to drive that community engagement. We've had a lot more community outreach this year uh to to just support um uh you know all of the great organizations around us that are making an impact you know, as much as we can as a as a company. So it's an incredibly rewarding experience. I get to work with amazing people um, and, and learn new ideas and new ways to, to reach our veterans, our, our, our current military members, and especially our spouses and family members and military supporters, because again, going back to like, it's easy for us. We know what we're doing that day. Uh, not so much for family members of deployed soldiers that maybe work at the company, but they, um, you know, those family members need as as much support as, as that, you know, deployed, uh, the deployed person does.
0: Never hurts to have a second FRG. That's for sure. Uh, at least one that they can connect with that's not military. It's a little bit of a different tenor of the conversation, to say the least. Well, look, continued success with that. Uh, Best of luck to you, your entire family, the wife, the kids, and and continued, uh, you know, growth personally for you. Um, It's amazing to hear your story. Thank you for your time and your honesty and sharing everything with me. I really appreciate it. Great to get a chance to know you. And, uh, you know, again, man, it's just awesome, awesome to hear your story.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to tell it.
0: Nick, thanks for being part of the Hazard Ground. Thank you you've been listening to the hazard ground podcast hosted by mark Zeno. if you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show send us an email at producer at hazardground.com and if you like the show don't forget to subscribe rate and review on apple podcasts thanks for listening we'll see you next time